0: Welcome, friends, you found Out of the Ordinary, the show that helps you grow a daily life that matters. I'm Lisa Jo Baker.
1: And I'm Christy Purifoy. And listeners, this week's conversation had me feeling really nervous because even halfway through, I still didn't know where we would end up. But Lisa Joe, I like where we
0: ended up. What a surprise. I know, I'm I'm going to be honest, I was really stressed heading into this one and then really stunned by the end at how all these strands I had not expected came together. So suffice to say, if you feel as near to drowning as I did at the beginning of this episode, I really hope you'll feel as relieved as I did by the end. Friends, get comfy. Here we go. Lisa
1: Joe, I feel like we record podcasts the same way that I have learned to write books. Oh. Yes. And that is to begin with questions that we don't necessarily have the answers (laughs) for. I remember that was advice I got from a great um, writing mentor a couple years ago at a writing workshop I attended. And I had come to sort of his office hours, and I had this manuscript and um, wasn't sure what I was doing with it. And I actually don't remember if if I came to him with certain questions. I don't remember what I said to him other than, help me. <laughs> help. And that was the advice he gave. He oh. was like, I think the thing that will keep readers turning pages with you is if you're asking questions that you want the answers to, and that they also want the answers too. Mm. And um, but then I remember telling him, "Well, how can I do that? Because what if I write that book and I never get to the answer?" That's <laughs> I a really scary. <laughs> I feel like that's, that's scary. scary where we're starting, yeah, proposition.
0: That is where we're starting that conversation today because that is how I feel. I feel like I voxed you this morning and said, "I think we should talk about this because I need an answer, but I don't have one."
1: Well, I believe in the. I was almost going to use the word magic, but it's not. It's more like the. The goodness and grace of conversation and connection that if we just share and we connect, something good bubbles up. So maybe that will be a solid answer. Maybe it will be a hint of an answer. Maybe it'll just be the next step, but something good. Right. Well,
0: here's the, here's the problem. Allow me to diagnose for us. Um, if you cast your mind back to being a teenager in high school, Or if you've watched a romantic comedy or a teen drama recently, you remember the phase where you're dating somebody and it's like highs and lows, extreme love story, devastating despair when he doesn't reply to my text message immediately, high, low, And the problem is that can train your brain to start to think that is what a relationship looks like. Highs and lows. And really, when you become more mature in a relationship, what you want is equilibrium. Mm -hmm. Christy, I am a 47-year-old woman who is experiencing the teenage angst of highs and lows, not in a romance per se, but in my life. I think we are all experiencing that. Year three of a pandemic that seems to have no expiration date. Highs and lows. Some of us who are parents have kids back to school and now they're back on online schooling. For those of you who are walking through journeys like some of our family is where it's a medical stressor that you're experiencing. And then there are great highs because, oh, good, there's good news. And then next week, there's low, terrible news again. And it's high and it's low and it's so painful. And then it's so joyful. And I realized this morning as I was loading the dishes and rinsing some dog food off of a spoon that I'd used to stir in the kibble, (laughs) (laughs) I need equilibrium. I cannot live in this tension of high and low constantly because the truth is there will be Highs and lows, they are not going to change. How can I, how can I establish some form of balance where I'm not constantly vacillating between the huge waves and the deep gulfs of despair? And I don't have an answer to it, but I do know I would like to achieve it.
1: Yeah. I feel like also we could say here from the beginning, we are Christians. Right. Right. We have the answer. Sure. We know the answer is Jesus. God. Yes. God. It's like <laughs> Sunday school, right? The answer is Jesus. Jesus, Jesus is the answer. answer. <laughs> <laughs> and yes, that so that that's true. And and so that's actually a great point to begin. Sure. But we live we have to live the answers. Right. So, I think what I hear you saying is that you know certain things like you're not looking elsewhere other than, you know, spiritual truth and your relationship with God. You're digging deeper into that. But we're asking, well what does that look like? How do I do it? Right. How do I feel it? How do I live right. it? This thing that I that I know is true. We can know lots of truths, but the living of them, the the like Im- embodying them right that that's harder and that's like the work of a lifetime so okay let's begin even though we have the answer like let's begin moving toward the answer so first of all just say lisa joe i i don't know but this is something i definitely feel as well in my own life i i do feel maybe it'd be good to analyze i feel like i've gotten better I can remember, you know, maybe it, it does come a little bit with age. I can remember seasons of my life where, wow, my emotions were about life circumstances were up and down and up and down. Or maybe it's not wisdom and maturity. Maybe I'm just in a quieter season. Mm. <laughs> so maybe I can't take any any credit mm. for it. But we've been talking these last couple of weeks about gardening as we talked about this new book, Garden Maker. And so... Perhaps to the irritation of some listeners, I don't know. I'm always returning to the garden as a metaphor. Um, I don't think only because it's the one nearest to hand. I think it's, I think there's just a lot of truth that resides in the created world. And so, I do keep going back to that place. So, um, truthfully, in the garden, I'm looking at it right now. Actually, I'm looking out the window and it's snowing, it's icy cold, end of January, um and so that is a real low in the garden. Like that that's as low as I get. It's like the ice cold hard dead season of my garden. And sometimes that does really get to me. You know, there are days where it just feels like, "Oh my goodness, spring will never come." And I shared recently on Instagram kind of speaking out of that place that sometimes winters last so long and they're so cold that you really struggle to even believe in spring of course you do. You know you know spring is coming, but you no longer feel it. I mean, what you feel is just that deep dead cold of January. But it helps that I've been here before. It helps that my garden's been dead before. And so I don't feel the depth of this quite so much um, because I've lived so many springs. So there is something that happens in Just the experience of these seasons that at least emotionally, spiritually, maybe sets me on a more even keel. Um, But I don't think that's the only answer, or the final answer.
0: Right. And I think what's difficult is when in life, the vacillation you're experiencing, you haven't walked through before. So seasons, we know, right? We know what comes after spring. We know what comes after summer, fall, winter. But There are extreme seasons, and our family is certainly living through one where you just don't know. There's so many unknowns that every time like a new wave of information hits you or a new diagnosis, Mm
1: -hmm.
0: it's really difficult not to be rocked by it. And of course, there are different kinds of waves, and some are going to rock you really big, like when you have a loved one who's going through something difficult, as opposed to waves that are smaller you know, to do with school being canceled early today because there's snow. That feels like much easier to respond to. And I think that's what I'm trying to figure out. There are things that as I get older, I am able to let wash over me. I can just, I think I remember hearing, I don't know if it was on a surf movie or an article or an interview, but they talked about how when you are going out to try and surf, so you're going past, waves where they're breaking on the shore to get out to the still water where you want to catch a wave. Well, the best way they do that is they duck dive under these big waves that are coming at them. They don't try to go over them. They actually go under and let the wave crash over you on top where the crashing is happening. But you have actually done what seems antithetical to survival in that moment. You have dove deep under the water where there's no oxygen so that you can avoid what's happening up on the surface. And I think that's what I'm trying to figure out. Like, what does duck diving through these waves look like? And I I guess that's one option. The other option, of course, is to, you see them doing it out in deep water rather than constantly swimming, like lying, relaxing out onto the water, letting it just float. You're just floating out there in the water which allows you to become more malleable and you let what is happening come and you go along with it. But what I'm struggling with as I get older is some of those big tsunami-type waves that you just didn't even see coming, like you didn't have time to duck dive and you weren't prepared at all and you can't breathe and you come up and you just caught your breath and now here's another one that hits you. Um, but then you surface next time and the water is still and it's calm and you think, Oh, good. It's over. You know, I'm okay. And then, 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 you know, you wake up the next morning and there's another wave. And so there's some things in my life that you get hit enough waves, you know, enough of them hit you that you in some ways become a little bit immune. So I think financial stressors for a lot of us in this post-pandemic world have been really big. And in the beginning, it felt like I couldn't breathe through them. But like three years in, I'm amazed at my ability to navigate some (laughs) of what would have been devastating a few years back. Um, But there's always something new coming in health things, health crises of people we really love. Man, those are hard to breathe through. So, what does equilibrium look like? How does one survive that without all your emotional energy being constantly consumed? And, and maybe those are the two differences. Like the wave is going to come and that's shocking. But, but how do I let it not knock the emotional air out of me every time? What does, what does that look like? And when you know, people are like, Jesus, read the Bible, I, don't know what that means. The closest I came in the last few weeks is going to the Psalms, where I really appreciate David, who seems to live a lot of those waves too. And his response is typically the first half of the psalm, he rants about it and is like really upset or really scared or really, you know, accusatory to God. Like, where are you? Why don't you take care of me? Help, help, help. And then the second half, or not even half, maybe the last few lines, he wraps it up with, you know, and God will rescue me. Like, (laughs) I'm going to be okay. God is there. I just have really appreciated his honesty but at the same time, like, he wrote hundreds of these psalms that just had that same pattern. So, clearly, it wasn't like it was a one-and-done lesson for him either.
1: Right, right. Not a one-and-done. Yeah. And those images of, like, trusting that God won't leave him in the grave, like, won't mm. abandon him to death, suggest two things to me. Like, one, he, he knew, like, this ends in death, Right. no this, right. is, this is where i'm headed no matter what right no matter w- right. how these circumstances play out it ends in our death right um but then beyond that like the hope that is even beyond the grave somehow to fit he's like now fixed his eyes like even past the end of the story to that beyond um but you're right like you You, he has it's clear that, like, that has it's like a practice, not like a I know it, so I'm good. It's like, no, I'm going to keep feeling these things and I have to keep practicing this kind of longer term vision or something. Um, because you're right, I'm like feeling myself in that salt water, that ocean spluttering. Like, that's a horrible feeling to feel like big waves keep coming and you can't catch your breath. That's just hard to feel.
0: Yeah. I mean, like, I got nothing. I'm just like, yeah. yeah.
1: yeah. <laughs> Someone
0: throw a life preserver. And, and I
1: think that's good to, like, leave it there. Say, like, that feels really terrible and scary. And I think we just hope, like, in those moments that there's comfort, that we can start to catch our breath. There's healing that comes after. Yeah. So, you know, thinking again about, like, well, okay, maybe we come at this whole question another From another direction, like what is our our purpose? So our purpose isn't wrapped up in how we feel about any of it. That's not the purpose, but our feelings are valid and they're, they're good things and they can guide us. And, you know, so they're just part of our, our lived experience. They can be ways of knowing and responding to God and so on, but they're not our, our purpose. So what is our purpose in this life that keeps knocking us off balance? (laughs) What is our purpose? So, Lisa I've been thinking lately about how a big part of our purpose, and I think all my writing about gardening lately just has given me kind of some fresh language in my life for thinking about it. But our purpose is, while we're living in this place where the shadow of death still has a hold, you know, our purpose is to be people who are just in every way we can, like cultivating life. So when the circumstances that are speaking of death or chaos come at us, we're going to feel that. And and there's going to be pain there, absolutely. And we may just need some time, (laughs) you know, to get our breath back. Um, But when we can, when we're able to get back up and say, okay, what what does it mean or what could it look like to... Make space for life in this situation, or to like, what seed can I plant, or what conversation can I have, or what can I make, or what can I do? I mean, it could be such tiny things. I don't think we're talking about big, grandiose, solve all the world's problems things. It might be the smallest thing, like, okay, all I can do right now is send this email or pick up the phone. And then, and then I think that's enough. Like, I think God uses that. And then this love and life that's at the center of everything can flow. But I think what I don't want is to be somehow like someone who is blocking that from happening. Like, okay, I've been knocked off my feet, (laughs) and now I'm angry and bitter. (laughs) Right. (laughs) And now only like death is speaking through me, right? (laughs) Um, But how can I not block that, but let that that living water keep flowing? And I'm aware that we're speaking in abstractions. I'm sure we can, you know— get more concrete but sometimes yeah you just got to kind of get get the big picture first i think but yeah what does it look like to like let life well up when i'm having a hard conversation with my teenager or when someone in my house is super grumpy and i am super annoyed at how grumpy they are <laughs> or you know so these are small things but like right. pra- if we practice with the small things maybe then it becomes more of a muscle we
0: can use. Yeah, I think that's, I think what's really helpful is you just shifted focus from the problem in isolation to the larger plot of our lives that God is writing. And if we believe and trust He is a good narrator, a good storyteller, then there's purpose in each of these waves or pain. It's not just random. It's not like God is waterboarding us, which is how it feels sometimes. That is not what's happening. Instead, to continue the water analogy, God is teaching us to swim or He's teaching us to surf. And part of learning to surf, even though I don't know how, but I've seen movies about it, <laughs> is that you do have times where you feel like you're drowning. You, you, And there's the risk, an actual risk of drowning in learning to surf. And so it is a good reminder— And it's been something our kids and I have talked about recently, is that sometimes we get really focused on this feeling of drowning we're in right now, and we forget the bigger story that we're actually part of. And when you raise your eyes, and I think it's why I like David's psalm, when I lift up my eyes to the hills, where does my help come from? It's easy to look down here in the valley where I feel like I'm in an ambush and I'm dying, but I raise up my eyes to the hills, where does my help come from? It does come from God. It comes from on high. He's got a plan moving toward us. Us. We aren't just living a story in isolation. We are part of God's story. It is always a story of redemption where God is always coming after us. And so, that helps me, I guess, in the way that if I remember being pregnant with my second son, Micah, and his delivery, that labor experience was traumatic. I mean, it took me like a decade to recover from it, I feel like. When I think about that story, it's so painful and so hard. And not just his birth story, which was incredibly difficult. Um, I, I mean, I really didn't think I was going to lived through it. It was so bad. And then the like first four years of his life were pretty terrible as well. Like, <laughs> I really felt like I wasn't going to make it. He was he pushed as hard against me when he was out of the womb as he did when he was in the womb. And I remember many days telling God, this is a mistake. I cannot parent this, whatever this is that you gave me. <laughs> like, this is terrible. Like, can I get a refund or do over? Like, how am I going to survive this? But I will tell you this last year I have lived with Micah Baker, who just turned 14, has been every single day I look at him and I actually feel like it can't be real. How can it be this great? How can he be this remarkable? How can he be this tender? How can he be this helpful? How can he be this kind? How can he be this funny? Every single night, that giant five foot 11 boy comes in to hug me goodnight and ask me how my day was and sit next to me. He's the kid I call when, I am waiting for Zoe at the bus stop and I have to be on a podcast at the same time and I can't wait anymore. And I call him and he comes to wait for her. This year, I have looked at his life and his intentionality, all the things he's wanted to do. He's a kid, clearly, who still has big personality, big drive, big dreams. And basically, whatever he tells me he's going to do, he accomplishes because of who he was (laughs) from the womb And this year, for the first time, it took 14 years to get a glimpse of the gift that was buried in the hardness of Micah. And I remember, and I have told the story on the podcast about his name. His name comes from the book of Micah. But it isn't a passage that we are all familiar with, the one about, you know, what has God asked you, O oh man, but to walk justly, to love mercy. It's not from that passage. There is actually another passage in the book of Micah that talks about God's rebuke against us and how God instead chooses to lift us up out of our own difficulty that we created for ourselves. And it was a season Pete and I were living through where it felt like this really appropriate verse where God was rescuing us from ourselves. But also His name means who is like God. And constantly in my journey with him, I have felt like God who gave us that name. I mean, we literally were taking off on a plane from South Africa where Micah, I'd had my first sonogram and my dad said, it's a boy. We didn't know what his name would be. And as we took off this name, Micah just appeared in my mind. I was certain it was from the Holy Spirit. And We have had so many years since then of moments where I can look at that kid and hear God saying to me, Who is like God? Like, and to me, that means, How can you question me and my ways? Like, I am God. I know what you need it's so great. I'm a verbal processor, so I feel like I'm learning as I say this. You guys, I did not prepare this. I don't have notes, but I feel like that reminder again, like as we get hit by waves, there's God saying, but who is like God? You aren't, you don't know, you don't know what's on the other side of these waves. And I can look at Micah now and be like, oh, God knew all along, like this is who he is. And I don't say that to say in 14 years we only had bad times. I mean, obviously not. And it's not like now everything is just peaches and roses. But the truth is, it was very difficult for a long period. But always, all along, has been this question, who is like God? And then we have these moments where we do, we get to see what God saw all along. And I guess, maybe it. I'll just continue to hold on to that name the way I did already as a life preserver, that who is like God. We don't, we just don't, we don't know what he's bringing us to on these waves. And I guess maybe that's what I have to remind myself. Waves are not just a random battering against the shore, right? The ocean moves us from place to place. And sometimes we can enter the ocean in one place and then end up miles in a different one, and we've just been focusing on the battering we took. We weren't aware. Now we've been relocated, and and I can say that as hard as some of the season has been, we've walked through. I already can look back and say, "Oh goodness, I I I have moved here. I, I didn't I didn't even realize how God has moved, shaped, transformed, redeemed, restored. Mm-hmm. Who is like God? Yeah,
1: I think. Um, so as a kid growing up and. In- being raised in the Christian faith, you know, I heard this word salvation and, you know, understood it a little bit, but I think misunderstood it in this sense that I thought it was like a one, like you said, one and done earlier. Right? (laughs) I thought it was like a one and done, like, check. (laughs) Now what? (laughs) I don't know. And what I didn't understand, of course, is that it is this transformation that Yes, has a beginning and then is ongoing. And now it's about me becoming. It's about all of us becoming more like, um, Christ who made us, more like the love that, like, you know, breathed us into being. Um, and so that, that's happening now. Mm Um, and, and so, these these waves that come or whatever, you know, yeah, whatever <laughs> um, path life takes us on, it's a part of our becoming. And so, you're right, in that sense, it's not useless, purposeless. It's not even if it looks like death. God says in Scripture, even that then I, I bring to life, I work out for good. Um even that. And so so we're invited to duck down deep under those waves. Like we're invited um to lay down our life. So the image that came and, and this is interesting, Lisa jo, it's turning into a very like theological conversation that we <laughs> don't <like> normally <laughs> have. But I'll just throw this out there. Um when you talked about ducking into the, the waves, you know, as a surfer, like I immediately thought, Oh, baptism. Like oh, that's wow. that's what that's what baptism is. Yes. That like that beautiful picture of death, of dying in Christ and then being raised to life. But I think also in the same way that, you know, salvation is, is this continuing process of me being made like Christ. I know at least in my church, you know, baptism, you know, looks a little different in different Christian churches, but in I appreciate that in my church tradition, whenever someone else is baptized— um, everyone in the congregation who has been baptized is invited to to say to like renew their baptismal vows. So we kind of revisit our baptism every time someone else is baptized, and it's it's really nice because you know I was baptized, I was. Very young, <laughs> and it wouldn't be something I would probably ever really think about if I didn't have this like regular invitation to to speak again these vows and to um, like remember my own baptism. But there might be something in that that is beyond just what I do at church on Sundays with that community. But maybe there's some invitation in that into like a way of living, a way of living. Um, as a baptized person of like remembering, oh no, you know, I, I, I died and, and, and I'm alive again in Christ. Um, but also something powerful in that, like letting go and that sinking deeper into the life of Christ, which is not the life of my own flesh, is the word scripture uses, um, my own, you know, selfish self. Um, yeah. So, I don't know what else to say about that but that's that that image I think is is maybe the right one for me for like how to move forward in a life that does keep churning up the storms, churning up the waves. Yeah, how to how to sleep like Jesus, right, at the bottom of that boat. I know you and I have both written and talked about that before. That too is a powerful image of peace in the midst of storms, um of like Talk about equilibrium and equanimity to be able to just so relax that you could sleep
0: in a storm-tossed boat. Gosh, which is what I think, wow, in hearing you say that, I realize it's Jesus who has the equilibrium, not me. Mm-hmm. I think that's a relief to almost re- be reminded of that. I sent to my brother recently um, an excerpt from C.S. Lewis's uh, tape Letters, mm-hmm. and uh Maybe I'll read it over here because it was incredibly powerful to be reminded. And when you talk about Jesus now being the one who's asleep, I appreciate that he wasn't telling us, you should be able to sleep through your stress. Like, that isn't what he was saying. The picture there is that he was asleep. He was at peace. He was the one that they could go to when they were afraid. And as human beings, we do tend to live sort of like these waves of valleys and and waves and uh, there's this letter that's written by screwtape you know if if you're familiar with the screwtape letter is it's sort of an older more experienced tempter or devil or demon writing to a younger one called wormwood and uh, it's it's funny that it would come full circle back to this to encourage me now in my own words that Maybe equilibrium isn't something I have to try and achieve. Instead, I have to draw closer to Jesus, so His equilibrium can cover me, can hold me. Um, I think there are many images in Scripture of how God, the Father, puts His cloak over us. You know, like the prodigal father who ran out to his son, or how you know a lot of imagery with boat. I'm, I know I'm just jumping along a lot of points now, but. Boaz, when he was out in the fields, um, and Ruth was harvesting and lay down and he put his cloak over her. It's the symbolism of covering up your shame or your vulnerability. And, and I think maybe what I have to remember is Christ is the one who has equilibrium and he covers me. And there's this really great letter in Screwtape where the older tempter is writing to the younger one who says, this is, I'll just read what it says. It says, so you have great hopes that your patient's religious phase is dying away, have you? And then he says, have they not trained you? Do you not, have you not been taught about the law of undulation, is what he calls it. And he says this interesting thing about human beings. He says humans are half spirit and half animal because they think of our human. Yeah, know, this dis- disdain for being human. It says, this means that while their spirit can be directed to an eternal object, their bodies, passions, and imagination are in continual change. For to be in time means to change. Their nearest approach to constancy, therefore, is undulation, the repeated return to a level from which they repeatedly fall back, a series of troughs and peaks. If you had watched your patient carefully, you would have seen this undulation in every department of his life. His interest in his work, his affection for his friends, his physical appetites all go up and down. As long as he lives on earth, periods of emotional and bodily richness and liveliness will alternate with periods of numbness and poverty. The dryness and dullness through which your patient is now going are not, as you fondly suppose, your workmanship. They are merely a natural phenomenon, which will do us no good unless you make use of it. And I just think it's really powerful because he goes on to say some of the father's special favorites have gone through longer and deeper troughs than anyone else. And it's really beautiful because he ends it this way when he's talking about this idea about troughs where there's really hard lows or high peaks and we're trying to find constancy when we are creatures who undulate. And he ends by saying this, it is during such trough period, much more than during the peak periods, that it is growing this creature into some sort of creature he wants it to be. Hence, the prayers offered in the state of dryness are those which please him best. It's really powerful because at the end he finishes by saying, Our cause is never more in danger than when a human, no longer desiring but still intending to do our enemy's work, looks around upon a universe from which every trace of him seems to have vanished, and asks why he has been forsaken, and still obeys. And I guess I just feel really moved because that's a passage I'd sent to my brother, and here I am now asking about waves, and why is it so difficult, and why can't I achieve equilibrium, and yet here's the reminder that in our humanity, we undulate, but Christ He does not. He is equilibrium. He is consistency. He is trustworthy. He is the plumb line. And I don't have to be those things. I just have to believe that he is.
1: That's right. And actually, it would be I think we really misunderstand and we're really on a wrong path if we think that the point is for us to be. The still center. So, yes. um, uh, in my head are always little random lines of poetry from all those years <laughs> <I> of <love laughs> graduate it. school. And two poets that I used to read a lot. Well, I still read um, T.S. Eliot a lot, but um, both Yeats, Yes. Yeah. Both Yeats and Eliot, in like their kind of pre war, Eliot definitely before he became a, a Christian, you know, they both have poems where they talk about the center and how the center will not hold and this sense of like, chaos and anarchy that is unleashed. And um, it's a really powerful image and very frightening. Um, And I think a really scary proposition to live. I mean, we may feel these waves, but a life amidst the waves with a sense that the center will not hold is very, that's terrifying. Um, But I think what we're saying is that the center does hold and Even better, we are not the center. So, if we are not holding it together, if we are not (laughs) like, you know, feeling like we're the source of of equilibrium, or if we're failing to be that for our family or friends or our kids, um, it's okay because that isn't actually the role we're meant to 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 hold you know is now we can hide ourselves in Christ and then there we are hidden in that center but we ourselves are not the center um god is and oh my goodness like that's good news and that's such a relief and it takes the pressure off and and yet there is this center um that that is that is there and no wonder you know jesus could fall asleep in that boat because the center will hold that still point that Elliot talks about in his later poetry, um, in four quartets, he's always coming back to that still point. Um, but we are in time and we are changing and we are heading toward death and our bodies are on this journey of decay, which has its ups and has its downs. And, um, as we, you and I kind of tip over that, that middle age, you know, we're going to be seeing more of that diminishing, um, that still point holds and has us and is holding us and is personal, right? So personal in the form of Jesus and is holding us. That is really good news.
0: I just exhaled so big. I was so worried at the beginning of this conversation because I thought, I I don't have an answer. There's no answer. Doom, doom and despair. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just really relieved that faith holds in this way, in this very real way because it pushes us out. And so I don't have to be perfect. I don't have to come up with some way to make myself feel okay i don't have to make myself not despair or have to have this ungenuine fake peace i can just say it's okay the waves will come christ will hold i'm not the center he won't let me drown i'm so relieved we had this conversation
1: (laughs) (laughs) me too lisa joe me too